It's always a joy to be here. Uh, we are indebted to you. Many of you know that uh, Sonship actually supports church planting in Philadelphia. And uh, we're grateful for the check that you send every month that helps to plant churches. We're working on two that are going very well. Lord willing, this summer we'll open up a South Philly church plant for all those Italian Catholics and others that need Jesus. Um, but thank you for your, uh, your generosity toward us and for your friendship. Brian, one of us received a compliment when we were greeting each other. I'm not sure if it was you or me. But they said uh, he thought we were brothers. Uh, I, I told him to tell you that you got a compliment. Well, we see. It's always a joy to preach the Word of God. I'd like you to turn with me tonight to Colossians chapter 3. Be looking at verses 1 through 4. I'm going to talk about from death to life to glory. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Before I read the text, I want you to think with me for a moment about skydiving. Do we have any skydivers here? Huh? You're very smart. I knew this was an intelligent group. I don't get why anybody jumps out of a perfectly good airplane. But uh, people do that. And I was uh, recently watching tandem skydivers. My son has done that. I've known a few people that have uh, wanted to get the thrill of parachuting down, strapped to somebody else, so they do tandem skydiving. Well, tonight, throughout the message, I want you to think of yourself as a tandem skydiver, that you have jumped out of a plane, strapped to somebody to whom you've entrusted your life. Now, I would never do that. Uh, I can't imagine doing that for two reasons. One, uh, I don't want to be strapped to any other person that closely for that long, except maybe my wife. Uh, but then again, I'm not sure I would trust my life to her. Uh, on, And that's the second reason. I don't know anybody that I would trust my life to, that I'm going to jump out of an airplane 5,000 feet above ground. But people do that. So I want you to imagine tonight that you have taken this tandem jump. And uh, you are enjoying the free fall. You've got this panoramic view of the world beneath you. It's getting larger as you get closer. You're feeling the rush of the wind in your face, uh, this feeling of freedom, of complete abandonment. You're actually, you've got past the fear. You're beginning to have a little bit of a joy, and you're hoping that the chute opens. But it doesn't. So you are free-falling faster. The ground is becoming larger. But not only has your chute not opened, your instructors had a heart attack. You are strapped to a corpse. Now, if you don't know Jesus tonight, that's a vivid picture of your life. You are free-falling. You may be enjoying the moment. But you are strapped 
to a corpse. He cannot help you. You may feel warm by the corpse. You may feel comfortable with with the corpse. But the corpse will not save your life. You are strapped to a corpse. Now, I like those movies where someone is free-falling and has no shoes. So imagine that you're still free-falling. You are strapped to this corpse. You have no way of being rescued. And someone jumps out of the plane to rescue you. I mean, they seem to be able to fly when they do that. They are able to you know, maneuver their arms and their body, and they sort of chase you down in the sky. We've seen it in these uh, hero movies. And so this rescuer comes, chases you down, and is about ready to grab onto you and says, but I must cut you loose from the corpse. And he cuts the corpse. The corpse flies, grabs onto you, and he becomes your life. Think about that tonight as I refer to it as we look at Colossians chapter 3. From death to life to glory. Colossians 3 and verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. The text is very simple and straightforward. It's about the new life that Christians have as a consequence of what we call union with Jesus Christ. In Christ, we die to an old life. We receive a new life, and we're assured of future glory. We begin a journey from death to glory. It's all in Jesus Christ. And so what I'm going to ask you to do tonight, if you've not already done that, is I'm going to ask you to let Jesus set you free from the corpse to which you are holding on. To cut the cord of sin and death and idolatry that binds you so that in some sense you die to all of that. So you can be bound to someone who will give you life both now and forever. That happened to me when I was 19. I like to say that when I was 19 years old, until I was 19 years old, I was dead. I thought I was alive, but I was dead. And really did not begin to live until that night that something miraculous happened where the Spirit of God cut the cord that bound me to sin and death, gave me a new life, opened my blinded eyes, began to stir my imagination, and initiated for me a journey into the inexhaustible depths 
of the greatness and the goodness of God. That all began in a few moments in September of 1970. Brought from death to life, headed to glory, and nothing can ever change that because I am bound inextricably to Jesus Christ, who is my life. This is what Jesus said to Mary and Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. He that lives and believes in me will never die, and whoever lives and believes in me will never face death. That once you're bound to me, you will have life that never ends. In another place, he put it this way, I am come that you might have life. But in order to have life, in order to have what Christ offers, our text tells us you must die. He says it very matter-of-factly. You died. That's true of you if you're a Christian. And it's somewhat paradoxical. Because we've died to death. We've died to something that is already dead. You know, what, what Jesus wants to do is cut you free, set you free, not from a, a life that is wonderful and permanent and stable and forever. He wants to set you free from a corpse. Now that corpse may bring you a moment of joy. That corpse can take on the form of many different idols. It may be your career. It may be relationships you're in. It may be the, the lust or the habits that you have. It may be money. It may be success. But if you will have the life that Jesus offers you, then you must be severed from that corpse. Now, Sometimes we're not aware that our instructor has died. We're just enjoying the free fall. So let me suggest how you can be aware if you are strapped to death tonight, if you're not alive in Christ. There's some indicators that we can tell just by looking at our everyday life. I mean, what is my life, my true life? What brings me joy and the absence of which brings me sorrow? What is it that causes me to fluctuate emotionally in life? Is it the created world? Is it the stuff of this world? Is it the things of this world? The people of this world? What is it that I would say, this is my life. If I have it, I'm happy. If I don't have it, I'm PO'd. Well, if your life is anything but the creator God, in the person of Jesus Christ indwelling you. If your life is anything but that, then your life sort of goes like this. It goes with the ebb and flow of the stuff that you have or you don't have. If that's how your life is described, then you're tied to a corpse. It may be a corpse that brings you moments of happiness, but it's a corpse to which if you stay bound, you will eventually hit hard you will face a tragic and fatal death. Apart from Christ, you are living a life of death. 
That's the paradox. And when the Spirit of God comes to us, he comes to people who are dead in their trespasses and sin. So it doesn't matter how much I thought I was alive when I was 19 years old. It doesn't matter how much fun I had or how much pleasure I, I endured. From God's perspective, I jumped out of a plane. I was strapped to a, cor a corpse. And along the way, though there might have been some great moments as I looked at the panoramic beauty below me, eventually I was headed for destruction. I was dead. I was strapped to a corpse. You must die to a life that's already dead. Now, if you're alive in Christ, you have a memory of a former life. I don't mean you've been reincarnated, that you were, you know, a caterpillar before and you remember <laughs> crawling up a tree. Uh, but if you're in Christ and you died, you have a memory of a former life. Hopefully it's a memory without envy. Hopefully it's a memory that becomes more and more faint. Hopefully it's a memory that when you do think about it, you think about it and wonder, how could you have ever done that stuff, those things? But you have a memory. And as Peter said, whatever memory you have of sin, it was enough. Whatever you did prior to Christ, it was enough. Be done with it. Because all it was was a corpse that was dragging you to an eventual death. Just last week I read online an article from a Moscow newspaper. A woman's husband had died. She was a devout Pentecostal Christian with some mixed up theology, but she really believed that though her husband died, God was going to resurrect him. And so she took her husband and placed him in his bed and had her children come in for three weeks, trying to feed him, talking to him as if he were alive. But he was dead. It doesn't matter what you think about death. What might happen if you keep giving yourself to this corpse. It doesn't matter what you believe, what joy you might get out of it. Death is death. And if you will have the life of Christ, you must be severed from that corpse that's leading you to destruction. And let me tell you, it can be painful. Repentance is painful. Dying to what we thought was life, and we find out that it's only death and destruction, it still can be very painful. But if it doesn't happen, if you have not died, you cannot have life in Christ. 
You must die to a life that is already dead. But that's not enough. It's not enough for the rescuer to come and to cut you free from the corpse and let you continue free falling to your destruction. No, you must be wrapped in his life. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Now, I will confess that there's much about this passage I cannot completely wrap my mind around. But I experience it and I believe it. Even though I cannot in physiological or psychological terms fully explain what does it mean that I died with Christ, I rose with Christ, that Christ lives in me. As a young Christian, one of the first verses I memorized was Galatians 2.20. Many of you probably have. If not, it's a good one to start with. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I can't fully explain what happened on September 10th, 1970. But I know that that corpse that I was tied to, that I was bound to, that I thought was my life and I found out was only death and destruction, I was set free from it that night. And something happened within that gave me a new life. A new life that made me look at the drugs and say, I don't want them anymore. A new life that made me think about all the stuff that goes on in a man's mind and begin to say, I don't want to think those thoughts anymore. I want to live a different way. How does that happen? Christ lives in me. There are a number of theological mysteries in the Bible. Certainly one of them is the Trinity. I mean, how do we explain one God? Three persons. And sometimes we talk about loving God. I love God. You're supposed to love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Sometimes we're talking about the relationship we have with Christ or the relationship we have with the Holy Spirit or the Father, the Spirit that's in our heart that cries out, Abba, Father. And yet there's only one God. Explain that to me. I can't explain the mystery of the Trinity. I can't explain the mystery of the union of two natures in Christ. How can Christ be perfect man and perfect God and yet he's not a perfect man and a perfect God. He's only one person. Explain that to me. I can't explain that. But I believe it. Explain to me how Christ lives in you. That you are in Christ. I mean, you've read Ephesians 1, that great passage that talks about God's sovereign, wonderful work of redemption. Well, when you read through Ephesians 1, you keep reading phrases like this. 
through Christ Jesus, in him, in the beloved, in him, in Christ, in Christ, over and over again. It it just assumes that we understand or we believe that there is this union with Jesus Christ. Well, how is that possible? Now, marriage is an analogy to the relationship that we have with God, and it's helpful in some ways because two distinct persons become one. And the more you're married, the more you realize that, that you begin to think alike. You're even anticipating each other's thoughts the longer you're married. Thankfully, uh, you don't begin to look alike. I mean, look, look at my wife and look at me. You know, uh, one, I don't want to look like her, but if I was a woman, I'd want to look like her. But, uh, but I understand that in a marriage relationship, we begin to take on a lot of each other. Now, that's a helpful analogy because a new oneness is created, but it sort of fails when it comes to our union with Christ because Christ doesn't take on any of me. I don't bring anything into this relationship. I'm the one who gets everything. But I do get everything. If I am in Christ, my life, my destiny, I mean, once he has set me free from the corpse and I'm bound to him, Whether he pulls the chute or not, my life is bound to him. I like the way Sinclair Ferguson put it. He said that if we are united to Christ, then we are united to him at all points in his activity on our behalf. We share in his death. We're baptized into his death. We share in his resurrection. We are resurrected with Christ. We share in his ascension. We have been raised with Christ. We share in his heavenly session where he intercedes. We are with him seated in heavenly places. And we share in his promised return. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall we also appear with him in glory. Our lives are inextricably bound to the destiny of Jesus Christ. That whatever he has done, whoever he is, whatever he will do, I am bound to him, inextricably, about a bound that cannot be broken. Again, as a husband, I understand a little bit about this union that I have with my wife, that once we became married, uh, I never did anything, or I never should have done anything in life after that day without her in mind. That I no longer had a life that was just me. But we were two people coming together to create a whole new relationship. So that whatever I was doing, whether I'm hanging out with the guys or riding my motorcycle, whatever I'm doing, I have to do with a consciousness that my life is bound to her in union till death do we part. Well, even more so with Jesus Christ. Our baptism is a wonderful picture of that. 
buried with him, risen to new life. That baptism is a wonderful picture of the operation of the Holy Spirit that brings us to death and brings us to life, creates us anew. And this is all in Christ. You know, you could spend the rest of your life and you will spend the rest of eternity trying to comprehend a little bit more about what it means to be in Christ, inextricably bound to him. I think sometimes as Christians, we make the mistake of losing sight of the personal aspect of our salvation. We like forgiveness. We like blessing. We like eternal life. We like power. I mean, we we like this stuff, this good stuff that God gives us. But we forget that all of this is in Christ. If you don't have Jesus, you have nothing. I think I've shared with you before that the, uh, the, the Welsh coat of arms for Davis uh, has on it, in God, everything. Without God, nothing. I would probably refine it to say, in Jesus, but he is God, everything. Without Jesus, nothing. We lose sight of that sometimes. We want the blessing, but we lose sight of that it's because we are buried in Christ and raised in Christ and seated in the heavenlies in Christ. Well, how can that be? You're seated in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn tonight. But if you're a Christian, you're seated in the heavenlies. You are in Christ. Where Christ is, you are. Your body may be here, but your life is tied to a whole nother place. And if it's not, if your life is tied to something under the sun, then it will end badly because all under the sun ends badly. I like to, when I'm talking to people who are outside of Christ and trying to help them understand the gospel and what it means to receive Christ Put your faith in Christ. Accept what God has done for you. Surrender to Christ. How do you do that? Well, sometimes I use the little illustration using Romans chapter 6, verse 23, where it says the gift of God is eternal life. After you've talked about the gospel and what Christ has done, I like to ask people, would you want to know that you could be forgiven tonight? That right now, if you repent before God, you can have eternal life. It's a gift. It's a gift of God's grace. Would you like to receive it tonight? Oh, yeah, I would. So let's pretend this is eternal life. You want eternal life? You want forgiveness? You want the blessings that God offers you by his grace? Yes. Well, you can't have it. I'm not being an Indian giver, but you just can't have it. Because the text says 
The gift of God is eternal life. Let's suppose this is Jesus Christ. It's eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You can only have what God offers you in Jesus. There's no way around it. With Jesus, you get everything. Without Jesus, you get absolutely nothing. You get worse than nothing. Your life is inextricably bound to the life of Christ. God creates this indissoluble union. Nothing can change it. Where Christ becomes to us, as Paul said in Corinthians, our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption. I mean, this is why we should love him. Because everything that's good and everything that's eternal is bound in him. You died. That is, you were cut free from the corpse that was plunging you to an eternal death. And you've now been strapped to one whose name is Jesus, who gives you life here and life forever. But then he takes it one step further. If the union with Christ, if being raised with Christ is a difficult enough thought, he says, and now your life is hidden with Christ in God. So you're not only bound to Christ, but of course, since Christ is God and part of the triune God and shares that one essence of God, your life is inextricably bound to the triune God. How much better and how much safer can that be? Before Jesus died on the last night before He died. He was instructing his disciples about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what he says. He said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Well, what's going on? Who's in me? (laughs) And who am I in? Is the Spirit in me? Is Jesus in me? Is the Father in me? Of the Father in Jesus, and since Jesus is in me, the Father's in me. What is this? I don't know, but it's great. I mean, I can't explain. I, I don't understand the Trinity, but I understand that if I have Jesus, I have the Spirit, I have the Father. You can't have one without the other. I mean, there may be portions of Christianity that seem to love the Spirit and diminish. Jesus and the Father, but the truth is you cannot have one without the other. They are inextricably bound in union, eternal union to each other. And if you are in Christ, then you are in the Father, 
and Christ is in you, and the Father's in Christ, so he's in you too, and the Spirit is in you, you are inextricably bound to the triune God. And there is no better, no safer, more secure place to be than to know my life is bound in the life of God himself. This is where I've staked, not only today and tomorrow, I've staked my eternity. I gave up, gave up a corpse in repentance so that I could have this life of the triune God. As mysterious as it is, like marriage, it's wonderful. It's satisfying. But unlike marriage, it's eternal. As long as the Trinity is, and you are hid in that Trinity, you are safe and secure. If the relationship of Father, Son, and Spirit ever ceases to be, then kiss your life goodbye. But that will never be. Jesus put it this way in another place. He said, my sheep hear my voice. You know the verses. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And my father which gave them me is greater than all. No one is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. And I and my father are one. Whose hand are you in? You're in the hand of the sovereign triune God. But even better than that, you're not just in his hand. You're in him. And he is in you. That there is a union that has taken place that is indescribable. But it's indissoluble. It cannot be broken. And as long as Christ lives, as the Spirit lives, as the Father lives, as long as God lives, you will live. And... You not only go from death to life, you go to glory. You are, you are assured of future glory. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Well, that's easy to understand now. Because if Christ is in glory and I am in Christ, then wherever Christ is and whatever Christ has, I'm there. He's in me. I'm in him. I have a glory that will never be dismayed. In light of that, Paul says there's two things you should do. And I say this in closing. Keep seeking the things above. That's where your life is. That's where Christ is. So why wouldn't you? If you're looking out for your own best interests, as Piper would say, Worship God. Seek the things of God. Because that's where your life is. You are bound inextricably to him. So seek the things that are above and set your mind on those things that are above. But how do you do that? That's a whole other message. But let me suggest you read 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I know as a young Christian... Uh, I memorized a lot of scripture, and I memorized a lot of scripture out of context. 
And I misunderstood a lot of scripture that I had in my mind, but I, you know, I was getting blessed by it, but I, I don't know where the blessing was coming from because it, it wasn't based on a good understanding of scripture. One of those verses was 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. I loved that verse as a young Christian, but eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. And man, I would think, I can't wait to get the glory. I can't wait to get to heaven and see all of those things that God has prepared. And then I kept reading scripture and reading through 1 Corinthians and, oh, I read verse 10. But eye has not seen, nor has ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God has revealed them to us by his spirit. For his spirit searches all things. Yes, even the deep things of God. Well, this is something you get now. Through the Spirit, and as you read on in 1 Corinthians 2, we find that the Spirit works with the words that he gave, the words that he inspired. And so we search in Scripture through the work of the Spirit in our life to try to comprehend more of this mystery and more of the what I call the inexhaustible depths of the goodness and greatness of God. I mean, has that happened to you? As I described it in the beginning, that when I was 19, I was dead. But by the grace of God and the spirit of God, he made me alive. He opened my eyes. He stirred my imagination. And he initiated for me a journey into the inexhaustible depths of the goodness and greatness of God. And I'm still not tired of it. My dad used to say, you might get weary in the way, but you'll never get weary of the way because it's the way into the inexhaustible depths of the goodness and greatness of God. Some of you tonight need to let Jesus cut you free from that corpse and give you his life. Let's pray together, shall we? And Father, only by your grace can we experience and enjoy this journey. Only by your power can we be set free from the curse of sin and death? Can we be cut loose from that corpse which we call life, which is taking us to destruction? Bring some to repentance this evening. Give some new life with you, the living, the triune God a life that will never end, a life that will always be satisfying. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.